Well, good morning, Cornerstone. I am so thankful that you came to, not you didn't come, but you chose to join us this morning uh, or whenever you're watching. Um, I trust you're well as you, as you gather with us, as you gather together with friends, maybe family, maybe you're alone uh, and, and watching this this morning uh, or whenever you're watching it. But thank, thank you for, for joining with us. And I pray that God has a word for you today. I pray that the Holy Spirit, um, as, as I use words in my mouth, that he speaks to you, to your heart. Uh, we as a church have been reading and studying the stories of Jesus last few months on earth, leading up to his crucifixion and his resurrection. And, and what we're doing as we, as we study these things is we're seeking to learn how to walk as Jesus walked, seeking to learn how to live like he did. Because the, the goal of the Christian life is to become more and more like Jesus, to have our, our lives transformed and our hearts trans, transformed. And what we've been doing uh, as a church body is, is reading the same passages together all week long, and then on Sunday, whoever's preaching takes one of those passages and unpacks it uh, just a little bit more. And so that's what I'm doing this morning. Now our text today finds us in Jesus' final weeks before his crucifixion and before his resurrection. Um, we will celebrate in just a few weeks, Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday, one of the most glorious, triumphal holidays of the Christian calendar. Uh, what we call Palm Sunday in our text, what we call Palm Sunday has already passed, and, and we're in these last days before Jesus will be crucified. And what the gospel writers are doing in this week is they're, they're telling us several stories about Jesus teaching and interacting with the people in Jerusalem. Uh, a lot of his interaction was with Jewish leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and, and confronting them. Last week, Christian talked about how Jesus went into the temple and, and he drove out the money changers who had totally taken over probably the court of the Gentiles. And, and he, he drove them out so that the Gentiles could come and they could, they could worship where they were allowed to worship. And today we see another event in this Passion Week where Jesus clashes with the Jewish leaders. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Our text today will be Mark 12, 18 through 27. You read this story, if you're following our scripture reading, you read this story earlier, earlier this week. And in this text, we see Jesus being tested by the Sadducees in a very interesting exchange. Mark sets up the story in verse 18. Let me read that. Mark 12, 18. And the Sadducees came to him the Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question. So here we go. The point of their question was to trick Jesus and to demonstrate to him and to all those that were around listening how foolish it is to believe in a resurrection, to believe in any kind of life after death. They didn't believe that. And they wanted to trick Jesus to prove their point. And I think it's interesting to think that just a few days after this exchange, Jesus would die and rise again, proving them so wrong with his own resurrection. But before we plunge into the story, we need to understand who the Sadducees were. 
This was a group of Jewish religious leaders, and they believed that only the first five books of the Old Testament uh, were, were supreme. They were the only books that, that we should uh, get our theology out of and we should listen to. Those uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We call it the Pentateuch, or we call it the five books of Moses. Um, they rejected, the Sadducees rejected any theological teaching that could not be found in these first five books. Thus, they did not believe in a resurrection because they believed there was no teaching about the resurrection in those five books. Uh, they were wrong, and Jesus is going to prove them wrong, but that was the basis of their belief. Now, all through these stories uh, of Jesus's life in, in, the, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we keep seeing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We keep seeing Jesus confronting these two groups of Jewish leaders. And how do we tell them apart? How do, how, how do we remember who these guys are? Well, I remember when I was a kid, I remember learning about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection, and the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. And so the way that I was taught to remember, and I still remember it to this day, is to realize that the, the, since the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, they were sad, you see. Now, you can laugh, and there's nobody here, but you know, those of you watching, you can, you can laugh at that little joke now. Um, but uh, really, I remember the Sadducees are the ones that don't believe in the res resurrection. Well, what is this question that they asked Jesus to try and trick him? Well, let's pick it up at verse 19. The, the Sadducees said to Jesus, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow, in other words, the brother of the dead man, must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were and, and the Sadducees kind of make up this story. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and so on. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. So they asked Jesus, in the resurrection when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as a wife. Now, the Sadducees created this scenario, which while possible, is certainly, it's certainly possible, it's pretty unlikely. They created this scenario to test Jesus. And, and what they're talking about here is an Old Testament law found in Deuteronomy 25 called leveret marriage. Um, it sure sounds strange to us, uh, but having physical offspring in the, in the Jewish, in, the, in the, uh, the children of Israel, in the Jewish world there, uh, was a big deal. Because the Messiah would come through physical descendants in the tribe, the tribe of Judah. So this law that was found in Deuteronomy was intended to keep that physical line going. Uh, it was intended to preserve the land for the same family. And it was also intended to take care of the widows. So the law said that if a married man dies with no kids, then his brother is to father a child with the man's widow, in essence, taking her on as a second wife, and that child becomes the heir to the brother who died so that his name is preserved in Israel. 
Now, we don't fully understand this. We don't fully comprehend it. It was a different time. It was a different culture. But God placed a high value on the 12 tribes of Israel, keeping their land, keeping their family name, keeping that going on through the generations. So this is what the Sadducees are talking about when they, when they I think, make up this story and, and present it to Jesus. They're using a legitimate Old Testament law in the, book of, in the books of Moses to test him. Well, let's keep going with the story here. Um, the, the trick question that the Sadducees asked Jesus was, okay, so in the resurrection, when they all rise again, and it's funny because the Sadducees didn't even believe in that, but when they all get to heaven and their mansions are all assigned, which brother will this widow, this lady, be married to? And I can just imagine them standing back and go, well, we got him on this one. And their whole point was to show how ludicrous it was to believe in a resurrection. And even though this is perhaps an exaggerated story, it still has implications for us. Because Jesus is going to explain that there is no marriage in heaven to one another the way we know marriage here on earth. Now, I assume that when we get to heaven, I will still know who Dawn is. I, I believe we will know one another but I will not be in a marriage relationship with her like I am here on earth. So listen to how Jesus answers this question. Let's pick it up at verse 24. Jesus said to them, is, he said to the Sadducees, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So, so Jesus is saying here, what he's teaching us, what he's teaching the Sadducees, is when we get to heaven, marriage as we know it will be completely fulfilled in our, in our marriage to Jesus. We, we are his bride. He is the bridegroom. And when we get to heaven, that will be the perfect fulfillment. Our marriage... Um, marriages on earth have many purposes. One is to produce children, to keep the human race going, won't be ne necessary in heaven. Uh, another purpose of marriage is to demonstrate and, and put on display the relationship that Christ has with his church, his bride. Well, that will be perfectly fulfilled there. We will be the bride of Christ in heaven, and so that purpose of marriage will no longer be needed. The intimacy and the closeness of a, of a marriage relation, relationship, the, the closest human relationship that there is, that'll no longer be needed because we will be in perfect relationship with Jesus. And, and what he's saying here is in the same way that angels don't marry and have baby angels, neither will we marry and produce more people. That's it. It's done. It's not that we become angels when we die. It's that we don't keep having kids like the angels don't keep having kids. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 26. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the, he's talking about the burning bush here, and see what Jesus is going to do is take them right back to those five books of the Old Testament that, that, that were the only ones that they believed in. So he's taking them back to those books. Um, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. 
Jesus goes on in verse 27. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And so what Jesus is saying here is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive and well. They are in heaven. They have been resurrected. There is a resurrection. God's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And so Jesus answers the Sadducees by explaining what they did not understand. He was explaining to them how things work in heaven. They assumed, like I think we so often do, that life in heaven is simply an extension of life in earth, but without all the problems. All the problems go away. But, but life in heaven is so much more than that. Life in heaven is more than we can even begin to imagine. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Jesus is saying, you are wrong. You don't get it. Because there is a resurrection. There is resurrection life. But then he goes on to explain why they so totally miss this truth. He tells them in verses 24 and 27 that they are wrong about their beliefs. And in verse 24, he explains the reasons why they're wrong. Now, this word wrong is interesting. It means to be deceived or to be led astray. So he's telling the Sadducees, you are, you are wrong. You've been deceived. You've been led, led astray from the truth. And here are the reasons why. And I believe here in speaking to the Sadducees, Jesus is speaking to us, and he's giving us two reasons why we are so easily deceived about this life, why we, why we can be led astray into wrong thinking and, and error about how things work. So if we are going to walk as Jesus walked, and that's the whole goal of this series leading up to Easter, if we're going to avoid being led astray, then we need to know these two reasons. Look at verse 24 again. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you, number one, know neither the scriptures, or number two, you know the, not the power of God. You don't know the word of God, and you don't know the power of God. And so you're wrong. Now I wanna to suggest to you that when we do get it wrong, and we do, I used to say that my theology is wrong, I just don't know where. I have no doubt that I've been led astray, that I've missed things, that, that I don't have it all nailed down. None of us do. But when we, when we get it wrong, it's because that at some level, we don't know these two things. We don't know the word of God, and we don't know the power of God. The reason we get off track and we start loving the wrong things instead of Jesus as first and foremost. Todd's talked about that the last several weeks. Um, Jesus is the, is the only thing we should be loving and focusing on. When we get off track and we love wrong things, it's because we don't know the word of God or we don't know the power of God. The reason we're led astray by the media or the news cycles or the, the lure of wealth or power or, or misguided, there's a lot of terrible teaching and preaching out there. It's because we do not know the word of God or the power of God. So if we want to avoid being deceived and led astray by wrong thinking and by error, then we need to know the word of God and we need to know the power of God. Now, I, I chose this passage as I, as I read through all the readings for this past week. 
I chose this passage because I was struck by the clarity of Jesus' statement that these guys were wrong because of these two reasons. And I couldn't help wondering, where have I been deceived? Where, where have I been led astray because of my lack of knowledge about God's word and my lack of knowledge about God's power? And it just, it, it intrigued me and it convicted me and I wanted to dig into it and explore it more. And so that's the passage that, that, we're, that we're in today. Let's talk about these two reasons a little bit more. First of all, we must know the word of God. Being ignorant of the Bible leads to all kinds of erroneous beliefs and thinking. Um, the Bible is the source of truth. It's how we get to know God. It's how we nurture our relationship with Jesus. Uh, we only know about heaven from the Bible. We only know about God from the Bible. Uh, knowing the scripture, knowing the word of God, comes from reading it and studying it and memorizing it. Assimilating the truths and the principles found in the Bible uh, allows us to change and to be transformed. It changes how we think. It changes what we value. We need to evaluate everything through the, the lens of the Bible. And it's not just knowing the Bible. It's not just having, you know, being able to win at Bible trivia. It's, it's allowing the word of God to change us and transform us. Every follower of Jesus should be a lifelong student of the word. It doesn't matter where you're at in life, whether you're, your kids or students or parents or, or single or married or empty nesters or good readers or lousy readers, does not matter. We as followers of Jesus need to spend time and energy and resources to know the word of God. If your eyes are fading like mine are, then get a large print Bible or, or get stronger glasses. I print my notes out in 20-point font because I can't see it very good anymore. But it, doesn't, it should never stop us. We keep reading. We keep studying the Bible. It's the revealed word of God. The Bible are God's very words to us. When we read scripture, he is talking to us. You could stake your life on it. The word is useful and powerful and complete and sufficient. There's no other authority that's reliable. If, if somebody or something disagrees with the Bible, then they are wrong. You can count on that. And the best way to study the Bible is with others in community. Because we can be unwittingly, unintentionally selective in what we study and what we understand and what we cling to, and others can sharpen our understanding and help us see a perspective that we didn't get before. The Sadducees only believed part of the Bible, and that's what caused them to be led astray. That's what caused them to be wrong. But all Scripture is God-breathed and is important. I, some of you know, many of you know, many of you may not know, but but uh, we have a team of people that get together every week. We call it our sermon prep team. And whoever's preaching uh, presents their notes that they have, their ideas that they have to that point. And, and the team speaks into that. And it, it's an amazing process. We've even had other, other churches come and want to sit in and see how we do it and see what we do. But what that allows allows us to do is this isn't just what I think the word says 
from this text, this is what a group of people have, have spoken into my life and my understanding of scripture. And, and I've changed what I, where I was going and how I was doing this because of their input into, into this, this passage in this text. It is a powerful process and we, we need other people in our lives to speak into our study of the word. But we have to be careful that we don't get all puffed up with all this Bible knowledge. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 8.1 talks about knowledge that puffs up or knowledge that makes us prideful. May we never slip into that. We study the Bible to change, to be transformed. Now the other reason that Jesus gave as to why the Sadducees were in error is that we must know the power of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean that I don't know the power of God. I mean, I, I know and I believe that God is supremely powerful. Uh, he created the universe out of nothing and spoke it into being. That's pretty powerful. <clears throat> but I was wondering, I was thinking through this, processing this, is my belief in God's power kind of an abstract, out there kind of knowledge? Is that what Jesus was talking about with these Sadducees? Is, is it like knowing, well, I know an atom bomb's powerful. Of course an atom bomb is powerful, but it doesn't really matter to me in my everyday life. It doesn't really affect me. And, and is what Jesus is saying here, is the, the error of the Sadducees and possibly our error that we simply know in our head that he's powerful? As I studied this passage, I really wrestled with what this means. How, how, does this, how does this fit me? How does this change me? Do I really grasp how God's power impacts my everyday life? Do I, do I realize that not knowing his power can lead me astray? So if I'm going to walk like Jesus walk, and I walk, and I want to, I, I want to do that, then I need a fresh understanding of his power. I need to understand what it was that, that Jesus was saying to the Sadducees and what he's saying to us and saying to me this morning. Let me see if I can unpack this for us here. First of all, understand that this word power refers to the ability of God to do things and make things happen. I like that, I like that. God can do things, he can make things happen. And it's not just he can make things happen. He can make everything and anything happen. There is no human power, no genius mind, no political power broker, no military force, no financial powerhouse that is even remotely close to God's power. He can do whatever he wants. But the second thing that, that we see in this text is the power that the Sadducees missed can raise the dead. Now, yes, Jesus raised Lazarus. We just read that a few weeks ago. We just read that story. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we will experience resurrection too. <clears throat> now, that's pretty personal. I believe that if we do not live in light of God's power to raise the dead, then we will be led astray by too many things on this earth. If, if we do not live in light of the reality and the truth that God has the power and he will resurrect 
me, any, anyone who's a follower of Jesus, then we're gonna get it wrong. We're gonna be led astray. We're gonna be deceived. And so to avoid the same error of the Sadducees, we need to live like we really believe that this life is not all there is. There is another whole life in existence after this life that goes on forever in the presence of Jesus. We should not be living like this life is all there is. And I think sometimes we do. I think sometimes decisions I make, things that I get anxious about, things that I get worried about, are a reflection that I'm living like this is it. Now, those that don't know Jesus, those that have no hope, they live this that way. They grab for all the gusto they can get. You only go around once, so grab for all the gusto you can get because that's all there is for them, and it really is. But those of us who love Jesus should not be living that way. Now, we do have to live here on this earth. We do have to live life, and that means trials and pain and suffering and loss and grief, as well as joys and pleasures and delights and wonderful things. But life is hard, and stuff happens, and so often we don't like the stuff that happens, and we don't understand it, and we think it's not fair, and we, it's not fun, and it's hard, and we, we don't want to go through all that. I get that, and we need to live through that and in that. But knowing, knowing the power of God to bring about our resurrection can be, should be, a powerful antidote to living discouraged and defeated. I saw this quote this week. In fact, it, was, it came up in our sermon prep meeting earlier this week. Uh, somebody brought this up, this, this quote that says, Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Oh, I've been thinking about that all week. Let me say it again. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, the most awful thing you have suffered or the most awful thing that may be yet ahead of you, just remember this. It's not the last thing. Resurrection life is coming. Cancer, death, betrayal, COVID, loss of taste and smell, loss of our rights and freedoms, whatever it is, none of those are the last thing. There is resurrection life coming. It's also been said that fear and anxiety comes from thinking that this life is all there is. That's why the Sadducees got it all wrong. That's why they were led astray. That's why they were deceived, because they thought this life is all there is. They assumed that when we die, it's all over. That this life right here now on this earth is it. Is, it's all there is, so make the most of it. And when things go wrong on this earth, we get all worried and anxious because this is it, and we want to make sure that we live well. <coughs> Well, let me suggest that this might be a reason why we get so upset about COVID and face masks and having our rights taken away and how unfair it is to close restaurants and schools and whatever else you're upset about. Because even though we say we believe in the resurrection, even though we know this life is not all there is, at least in our heads, 
we're still living like this life is it. And so we got to make it the best life we possibly can. We have not, we have not taken the power of God the power of God to raise the dead, to resurrect me and you, we haven't brought it down into our everyday life. Fully understanding, fully embracing, fully basking in the reality of our resurrection is so freeing. Now, I, I used to love to travel before 9-11, if you remember that, and all the restrictions on flying, and before COVID and all those restrictions, and, and, and before getting old and all the hassles that go with traveling, and, and I just don't enjoy it anymore. But one place I always wanted to go was Switzerland. Do I regret never getting there? And I really don't expect I ever will in this life. I don't know if I regret it or not. But if Switzerland is still around in the new creation, I know that I will be able to go there in my resurrected body, and there won't be any of those hassles of flying. So I, I, I'll get to go there. And if, and if it's not there, if that ceases to exist, then whatever is there will be so much better, it won't matter. So I don't, I don't have to regret what I've missed out on life. I don't have to regret what I didn't get to do. or I, didn't, I don't have to regret that things didn't work out quite the way I wanted them to because this life is not all there is. Like I said earlier, I chose this passage because I was so struck by these two reasons why I can get it so wrong, why I can be so led astray, and why, why any of us can. Those two reasons why the Sadducees were wrong just sort of grabbed me by the throat, and I was intrigued, and, and, and I dug into this passage. I understood how important it is to know the word of God. That, that seems pretty clear, but I was intrigued by Jesus' words that the Sadducees were wrong, and we can be wrong, by not knowing the power of God. Man, I was just like, how does that play out in my life? How does that play out in your life? I went through several ideas and several thoughts about what this might mean, but I truly believe that what Jesus is telling us here in this text as he confronted these Sadducees is that we can be so easily deceived, we can be so easily led astray, we can so easily get it wrong if we do not live every day in light of the absolute wonderful, marvelous truth that this life is not all there is. That God has the power and he will use that power to defeat death in my life and in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. And he will give us a resurrected life where we will live forever with all kinds of new things to know and to learn and to do and to see and experience. I do not believe that we can even begin to fathom what resurrected life will be like. I think that the pleasures and the delights are so far beyond our ability to comprehend that we, we don't even try. The best we can do is think the resurrected life is going to be this life, but, but better. And for a lot of us, it's like, eh, whatever. Oh, no, no, let me challenge you and challenge me to spend more of our time, more of our energy dreaming about our coming resurrected life 
imagining what a perfect life with Jesus could be like. Dream as far and as wide as you possibly can, and you won't even be close. I remember a seminary professor telling us that he thought we would be able to fly. I thought, oh, that sounds great. We can just kind of take off and go. And my guess is it'll be a million times cooler than that and better than that. But dream about that resurrected life. Live in light of the fact that this life is not all there is. And then, and then take that resurrection perspective out and share it with as many others as you can so that they will be resurrected too and they get to experience that resurrected life with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this reality. Thank you that you have made a way for us to be resurrected. Death is a reality, but it's only the doorway to a new existence, a new realm. And Father, I pray that you would give us sanctified imagination. That when the, when the, the trials and difficulties of life uh, drag us down, get us down, that we can just take a few minutes and think and dream and reflect on what resurrected life might be like. And Father, may that excite us, may that encourage us, may that uh, give us the ability to keep going, to keep pushing forward. Thank you, Jesus. Make this truth real to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to each person in the way that each person needs spoken to. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.